Coming to you from the great wide north, it's your weekly dose of sports news, thoughts, and more. Two guys, one act, and all of the sports, it's the Halftime Brewskies Podcast. No, 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 that's unbelievable. You're kidding me. Dude, that is ridiculous. Really? That's what you think? No, no, no. Hello, friends. Welcome into this episode of the Halftime Brewskies podcast. I'm your host, Ollie Smith. I have James Ellis alongside me, as is tradition. We are going to talk about a whole host of things today, but first, we want to say thanks for tuning in. Thanks for listening to us. We really appreciate anyone, everyone who listens. We would love if you guys could leave a comment at the bottom of the podcast page on whatever form you're listening to it on. If you wanted to give us a rating, we'd really appreciate that. Anything helps. You just want to kind of bump ourselves up on the algorithm a little bit. So whatever you do, it will help us. Please do check us out on Twitter and Instagram at Pod. We'd love to hear from you. We occasionally post a poll or two, you know, see what you guys are thinking. So if you want to engage with that, that's awesome. Send us a message, do whatever. Please just reach out to us if you, if you feel like it, because we'd love to hear from you. We could probably tailor a couple things and questions depending on what you guys want to hear. So we're open to all ideas. We'd love to hear from you, as I have said as many times as I think I could. And we're going to start off because it's kind of a gray day. It's kind of rainy. It's kind of miserable. It's a little cold, but it is a special day. And happy NFL draft day. That's right. You are listening to this, hopefully. On the day of the draft, that is Thursday, April 29th. So, of course, that is where we are going to kick off today. I'm not even going to bother telling you what else we're talking about because we are focused in, hyper-focused in on the NFL draft. And we're going to give you a little bit of a spicy take on it. We'll start with a mock top 10 or top 12. What Did we did we end up with a top, mock top 12 just to be different? I, I wrote down top 12, yeah. Okay, see, that's already that's our first spicy hot take. Don't come to us for your mock top tens, which is what everyone else does. We only do top twelves of NFL draft days. So here we go. Probably the easiest first overall pick we've had in a long time. Would you Would you agree with that? Yeah, probably the the least uh, up in the air. I guess you could say whether whether he's the clear best player. In the draft that I think that's a little up a, for a little more debate but definitely the easiest to pick because it's guaranteed that he's going number one and, and we've had a lot of certainty about that pretty yeah. much since he came into the year so while we kind of do our our mock draft we're going to try to kind of pick players that I think will go not that maybe they're the best fit or anything but who I actually think will be the pick um, interesting and another bold spicy yeah, take it, Another bold, spicy take. Yeah, trying to actually predict what they're going to do, not whether I agree with it or not. And we can have those conversations as we go on because, you know, we got 11 picks after this. But really, there's nothing more to say about the number one overall pick. I mean, it was Trevor Lawrence coming into the year. It's Trevor Lawrence all the way. He's just yeah. he's going to be their franchise quarterback, and they haven't really had one in a long time. So he Trevor will, Lawrence just... He'll write the shit. Ticks all the boxes. Yeah. Hopefully, it's, hopefully. But... Well, it's everything it's that franchise be, needs for sure. Yeah. And it's one of the most important things is that for a young quarterback, you need to surround him with great protection and talent that you can use. I mean, Trevor Lawrence can only take you so far. 
So I think the Jaguars are looking up, but it's, I, I would say there's a lot more pressure on Urban Meyer going forward than there is on Trevor Lawrence. Cause I think Trevor Lawrence is a very relaxed dude uh, from all impressions that you kind of get through Trevor Lawrence based on this past year. It's that he doesn't really seem to ever get too nervous or get too in his own head. He's a very mm-hmm. kind of loosey goosey guy based on, yes. based on what we've seen. So I mean, the pressure down in Jacksonville is going to be on Urban Meyer to take what everyone's calling as a generational talent and actually use it because as any NFL fan would know is that fit is everything and that a player can be one of the best players that you've seen. But if they go to a terrible fit and they go into a team that's not built to win or protect them, that they can struggle and not succeed in their career. So fit is more important, I would say, in the NFL than in any other sport. So yes, he's a generational talent. Yes, he's the nailed on first overall pick. There's nothing really more to say about this, but going forward, there's, I think there's going to be a lot of pressure on Urban Meyer to really tailor that system to get the best out of what Trevor Lawrence can do. And that is, he, he's, he's a good arm talent. He's not a spectacular arm talent, but he just, he can read the field really well and he can make plays out of nothing. So going forward, I, I just can't wait for him to get into the league to kind of uh, see him go up against uh, go up against other guys. But yeah. So for the first overall pick, no question needed. It's, it's going to be Trevor Lawrence. Jacksonville has never had a first overall choice. They have had top 10 picks. They've had 19 top 10 picks. They've also picked three quarterbacks in the first round out of these three plus Trevor Lawrence who do you think will have the best legacy? I mean, this seems like an obvious answer, but I started the question, so I'll finish it. Byron Leftwich, who they picked number seven in 2003. Blaine Gabbert, who is number 10 in 2011. And Blake Bortles, is, yeah, who they Bortles, picked yeah. three in 2014. And then what we assume is Trevor Lawrence. Is, is Lawrence, do you think, by far and away, their best quarterback pick they will ever make? Or at least yeah. out of those options yeah he was he is a generational type talent at the quarterback position i mean mm-hmm. the comparisons to andrew luck are not Fair. unfounded yeah um, i mean this is a guy who's lost what four games in the last since high school and college all throughout high school and college he lost four games in total I, I, the things that he can do on the field are something that blake bortles could never dream of doing Right. So I th- yeah, it, it's, he doesn't have a high bar to climb based on, you know, Blaine Gabbert and Blake Bortles. And you can say all you want about kind of their failure to seize the opportunity and be a franchise quarterback down in Jacksonville. Um, I think a lot of that came down to, as I was talking about before the fit, I just don't think yeah. the organization was ready to put them in this area to succeed. And I think that really cost them their careers but it looks like they're trying to turn it around and urban Meyer, as I said, is, is going to be, uh, there's going to be a learning period because he's, you know, he's one of the greatest college coaches of all time, but sometimes that doesn't always translate to the NFL. So, but yeah, I think yeah, to answer your question, I don't think Lawrence has <laughs> not a any high competition climb. Yeah. To, to, to kind of meet, meet and then surpass those guys that you mentioned before. So last question before we move on to the jets, the last team to make the playoffs the year it had the first overall pick was the Chiefs in 2013. Do you think the Jaguars will completely flip 
the spectrum and make the playoffs in 2021. Not yet. Too soon. Because I, I, I think, yeah, I think it's too soon, but I like the direction that they're going. You got to think that it's going to take a year over a year for, for kind of Trevor Lawrence to one, get comfortable in the league, but two, Urban Meyer to get comfortable and to kind of understand what he's going to need to build around Trevor Lawrence offensively and then his defensive, right? Like there's, there's a lot that needs to go right, a lot that would need to go right for them to make the playoffs. And I just think that's a little too much pressure, pressure too soon. And why rush it? Because if you do this properly and you build it up pick by pick, you can have a really nice team surrounding him. So I would say no to playoffs the first year, but I mean, Trevor Lawrence is still really young and he's only going to get better. So going forward, I think playoffs should be maybe in the back of Jaguars minds after next season. But I mean, weirder things have happened, but I think that would be a bit of a stretch for their first year. The New York Jets could pull something only this team is only the New York Jets could do, which was everybody earmarked them possibly to go 0-16. They pretty much guaranteed that everybody expected them to be number one overall, and then they go and win two games and take themselves out of the Trevor Lawrence sweepstakes. They are, of course, picking two. Who do you think they pick at second? I think this is a, as easy as the number one overall pick. This is just as easy, and I think they're going to go Zach Wilson. I think that yep. pick has been nailed on for well over two months now. Uh, whether it's the right pick or not, that's a, that's a different debate, maybe even for a different day. But Zach Wilson seems to kind of fit all their needs at the quarterback position. Uh, and it's now nailed on after they traded Sam Darnold that they're going to need to fill that quarterback quarterback position. So I think, yeah, it's, it's going to be Zach Wilson. And, uh, and it will be an interesting case because – as everyone knows, like Zach Wilson is a superior arm talent, probably has the most electric arm in this draft, Mm -hmm. but he's going to a team and an organization that has been in for better or worse, a shit show for the past, what decade plus. Yeah. So there's going to be a lot of pressure for him to deliver right away. And he's going to have to be spectacular at right off the bat. If this team is going to even try to push to be competitive. So I think there's a lot of pressure on him. And I think this is out of all the picks that I think we're going to go through today. This is the highest, uh, second highest risk one. I think think the highest risk I'll I'll talk about a a bit later. Interesting. This this definitely has the ability to go sideways really quickly because as talented as he is, the problem I have with Zach Wilson is that the things that he thrives at are the things that you almost don't want to happen in a game is that he loves to play out of the pocket in scrambling, making something out of nothing. And that's amazing to have that skill set as a quarterback, but that shouldn't be your go-to play. I mean, in the NFL, you just, you're going to have less time and less decisions or less time to make those decisions. So you're going to want a quarterback who can play in the pocket and understand how the game is progressing. And yes, if the play breaks down, having Russell Wilson type talent to extend it is amazing, but that shouldn't be your first option to run outside the pocket and try to make a 40 yard throw downfield. Right. So I think right, Zach Wilson's but... definitely going to have to learn how to mature his game and understand that not every risk is a risk worth taking. Yeah. You say that, but there's a certain NFL quarterback who has been to the playoffs a lot and has been to the last 
two Super Bowls, who is the kind of guy who does that exact same kind of thing. And that is, of course, Mahomes. And that's who a lot of, on his pro day, uh, Wilson was getting linked to. Yes, so, but, but I, th- I, th- I think there are two different situations that causes them to use that talent. Look, Patrick Mahomes is the best in the league when it comes to, well, it's, I would say him and, him and Russell Wilson at the ability to extend the play outside the pocket, their ability to kind of read the field and when the play breaks down to get out of the pocket and throw it and make good decisions outside the pocket and under duress when the play has kind of gone to, gone to shit. Zach Wilson, I feel, has, has too often a time looked for that. He, he's ran outside the pocket when he hasn't had to and tried to make the fancy play and try to make the highlight reel play because he, he wants to, not because he has to. And that's the problem that I think he's going to run into the NFL is that, yes, Patrick Mahomes does that. Patrick Mahomes only does that when he has to. And he's, got the, and he's also a generational talent that allows him to, the ability to be successful doing that a lot. But that's never his first option. Patrick Mahomes is a very smart at reading the play. And oftentimes when it breaks down, he then can extend it. Zach Wilson, I find, too often chooses the riskier option, which is what Patrick Mahomes doesn't do. Patrick Mahomes is not a sloppy quarterback, and he doesn't take a lot of risks for how many times he steps out of the pocket and throws, right? Just, that's very I think true. you can admit that. He, he doesn't yep, take yep. a lot of risks. He, like We look back at the Super Bowl and – I mean, that was calculated. Such that's for sure. That was such a rare situation that his, his his defensive breakdowns or his offensive line broke down every single every time. play. Yeah, and so he had to scramble every single play. And even then, he didn't throw up a lot of interceptions. He didn't throw up a lot of bad balls. So that's such a clear indicator of how special the talent he is. I think Zach Wilson is just going to have to learn, and whether you agree with me or not. He's going to have to learn how to play within the pocket, within a structure, because we know he's got the talent to, to scramble and make beautiful throws. He's got to understand that he can still play the game inside the pocket under that structure and under the offensive coordinator's guide. And then when things go south, that's when he can use his, his what I'll say is amazing talent for creating something out of nothing, but that shouldn't be your first option. That's all I'm going to say to that. The San Francisco 49ers moved up in what almost everyone is is really thinking a pick because they know exactly who they want. They moved up to third with a trade from Miami happened on March 26th. Everyone has assumed they know who they want, but I think of all of the picks in the top 10, it's actually the 49ers who have the most question marks around who they're going to pick because quite feasibly, they could pick three different players. And in recent weeks, especially, we've kind of gone back and forth, or at least Twitter has gone back and forth on three different quarterbacks. Which one of the three of, obviously, Fields, Mac Jones, and just, uh, what did I say? Justin Fields, Mac Jones, Trey Lance. Which of the three do you think they're going to pick? This is this is the one that kind of gets me because I think the quarterback they should take is 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 the third one on the list of who they of who they will take and that is I think they should go with a guy named Justin Fields but yeah. I think he's I think he's the third guy on their list uh, because look all indications are saying it's going to be Mac Jones out of Alabama I can give you my thoughts on that pick because I I 
I don't see why you trade up to three to get a guy who you could have gotten where you were originally picking. Um, but I wouldn't be surprised if it was Trey Lance and, and, and I'd rather go Trey Lance than Mac Jones. Um, but I think it will be Mac Jones at the end of the day. I have a friend who is a big, big, big 49ers fan and she is desperate for them to pick Justin Fields. I just, you know, I think that for whatever reason, I just think that they will, they've been doing all of this as mind games. And I think actually Justin Fields is who is going to end up working out with Kyle Shanahan. And I think, you know, I, I don't know what it is. I just feel like, you know, he works really well with the team. He can use his running speed and his ability to move and, and break through the lines and just be another weapon that Kyle Shanahan can use. Even if it's not Kyle Shanahan's preferred type of quarterback, he'll understand he has to kind of evolutionize the way his team plays. It's going to be interesting because I think there is a tug of war within the perception of who runs that just not only just just the team, but just the acquisition of the talent. And when you look at the quarterbacks available, I, I kind of put Fields and Trey Lance into one category and I put Mac Jones in a different category. And look, Mac Jones, I think from all outside information, you can look at him and say he fits Kyle Shanahan's idea of probably an ideal quarterback. I mean, he's accurate. He throws in the pocket. He makes quick reads. And he can just run a ball game really effectively. He's just, yeah. he's got that Alabama in him, right? That professionalism that, he, and I would also say he's the most pro ready out of all the quarterbacks available at this spot. But the problem I have is when you're trading up to the third overall pick and you're trying to find a franchise quarterback, are you really just trading up to get a guy who's limited athletically and can really only throw inside the pocket? Yes, he's accurate. Yes, he makes quick reads. But I mean, you're just leaving a boatload of potential on the on the board if, if, if you pass over Justin Fields or Trey Lance, because in all indications, Trey Lance is going to need some time to mature and get really kind of game ready because he's not NFL ready at this moment. And even when the season opens, I don't think he's going to be NFL ready, but he's got the attributes to be a franchise quarterback, like a franchise change in quarterback. He's got arm speed, or sorry, he's got arm talent. He's got speed. He can read the play. He's got a, he's got all the tools that you want out of a quarterback. He's just so raw and we haven't really seen him play a lot of quarterback. And then you look at Justin Fields is he's got all of that and a bit more and just more experience. And he's, and he's played big games and, and he's shown up on big events. But I now, think it's gonna be Mac, I think it's gonna be Mac Jones because I I think Kyle Shanahan just wants someone who can run his offense because what we need to remember is that everyone in the NFL and especially guys like Kyle Shanahan just they have such an ego right they they truly believe that it's their way or the highway and that they yeah. are the smartest guy in the room and whether that's true or not about Kyle Shanahan I don't know but I think he almost looks at it and says. I just need someone who's going to run my amazing offense. I'm the star of this offense. I'm going to get you plays that are going to give you options to get touchdowns. I just need someone who can understand it and run the way I want it to. I don't need a guy like Justin Fields or Trey Lance who 
can do his own thing, who mm-hmm. has options to run. I think he wants someone who's just going to run his offense, which is going to, which when you look at it that way, Mac Jones is your guy. So that's yeah. who I think they're going to go with. I I really think that the 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 reason that Mac, I mean, I, I don't know. I just think the way that Mac Jones has an edge over the others, it has nothing to do with any of the players. It's the fact that if you rewind to when the 49ers were in the Super Bowl against the Chiefs, if Kyle Shanahan had a better passer than Jimmy G, they would have won because there were two passes that Jimmy G underthrew and misplaced, and that was the turning point for the Chiefs, and that started their comeback. It's hard when you have that experience, you know, that, and going back to your point of how you know, it's that mentality if it's my way or the highway, I know what I'm doing, I'm in this position because of my talent. You know, it's hard to look past a, a guy who's taken the team that people thought was good, but not really Super Bowl contenders to the Super Bowl and one or two plays different and they would have won. And in the exact areas where Jimmy G failed is where Mag Jones excels. So... <sighs> It makes sense. It makes sense. He's ready. He's ready to play now, and he's got more arm talent than Jimmy G. Yeah. So I think I think from all those pieces getting put together, I think it's going to be Mac Jones. I'd be pleasantly surprised if it was Justin Fields, because I think Justin Fields has the potential to be a Deshaun Watson type talent on the field. But well, just, Deshaun Watson think- trickled trickled down the draft too, and people didn't think about him. So it's very possible that it's, this can happen the exact same way. Well, and the Bears made the same decision, I guess, when they decided to just take a much more, you know, pocket-friendly yeah. <laughs> quarterback in, in, in Mitch Trubisky. And look, yeah. Mitch Trubisky's not a terrible quarterback, but when you look at the players who were drafted after him, you're like, well, crap. <laughs> I mean, you have two of the best talents in the NFL who were drafted after him, and it's okay, you know, whoopsie. Yeah, it's a whoopsie. The Atlanta Falcons are number four. They finished last season four and 12, and it is their first top five pick since they drafted their quarterback, Matt Ryan, at number three. Do you think they will pick another quarterback? I don't think they're going to pick another quarterback. If That's a hot take. If this, if this, yeah, I don't know if it is. If this was two years down the line, I think, I think they'd pick a quarterback. But I don't think Matt Ryan is at the point where you you even need to start planning a succession plan for him. Uh, I think this is a team that, if given a little more weapons, he can actually make it pretty decent again. Right, draft, but he's old. I guess in he's... my perspective, he's he's oldish. But uh, I mean, as you know, pocket pocket passing quarterbacks can stay in the league for for a decent amount of time, as as the Super Bowl just showed us. Generate. Uh, uh, I don't know. I'm not. I'm not ready. To I'm put using him in as. The same I'm league. using as a macro example that a guy who doesn't really. I mean, even. I mean, <laughs> Philip Rivers still, still, still was in the league last year, right? Drew Brees still in the league, and I guess. And and yes, I'm you know throwing Hall of Famer out there, mm-hmm. but Matt Ryan is a league MVP. He's 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 no scrub. He's yeah, that's true. If you were if you were to draft a quarterback, I think that would just create. It would create a controversy that you just don't need yet. Um, right. But, but you know, like Trey Lance is still on the board. Justin Fields is still on the board. They pick Trey Lance. He sits behind Matt Ryan for a year. 
Matt Ryan as a you know turn, is going to be 36, turning 37 by the end of the season. Perfect time for Trey Lance to ease his way in, not have the same pressure. You've allowed Matt Ryan another kick of the can to see if he can do it, and then you bring in a young, dynamic guy who will lead you for the next 10 years. Oh, and, and I see a lot of value in doing something like that. I just don't think they will because NFL teams are so scared of creating any kind of narrative that they don't want, right? And so if they draft a quarterback, the narrative is going to be, you know, like like we saw with Aaron Rodgers when they drafted, who is it, Jordan Love in the first yeah. round? That created that created a shit show. And, and we're still talking about that. And, and yet yes. Aaron Rodgers had an MVP season and we're still talking about that problem that they went ahead and used a first round pick on a quarterback when they didn't need a replacement this is you're using a top five pick on a quarterback when you don't need a replacement yet so i just think that they're going to give matt ryan and i'll get and i'll give you the pick here i think they're just going to give him another option i think they're going to go kyle pitts out of florida um, I, I think they're just going to give. Him, I think they're just going to give him another generational type pass catcher. You know, him and Julio Jones. I yeah. mean, that is that is any quarterback's dream of a guy to throw to, and that, yeah, I, I do think they're going to kick the can down the road in finding a replacement. But I just think NFL teams are, as I said, scared of creating controversy, so I don't think they're going to draft a quarterback. But I could also see them trading out of this pick to avoid that whole scenario altogether if someone really wanted a fields or a trey lance but i think it's going to be kyle pitts uh kyle pitts here with this pick i thought there would be a i thought yeah i mean i didn't think kyle i don't think kyle pitts but i just i can't you know it's the thing where i can't think that they would move on from a guy that they know is is going to be a, a talent for them but of all of the of all of these picks you've talked about so far, absolutely this is the highest possibility for a trade up scenario and someone to give him a bucket load in order to get a fourth. Um, there is a team that yeah, I think really everybody quarterback move yeah. up to four to get him. Yeah, um, we're gonna go to the fifth pick, which is going to the Cincinnati Bengals, and basically. They figured out that Joe Burrow is good, but needs help. Who do you think they pick to help out Joe Burrow? So this is the one that's going the most back and forth from what I can tell online. Uh, and I don't blame them for, for arguing this is, is do you go offensive line or do you go offensive weapon here? Uh, because you need to either protect Joe Burrow with this pick or you need to give him someone to throw to. Yeah, two options, and you have elite options at this number five pick. You have almost type generational type wide receivers available, but Correct. you also have still the top tackles on the board. I think they're going to try to reunite Joe Burrow with his LSU wonder guy, and, and Jamar Chase will be the pick to give yeah. him just a number one wide receiver who's ready for the NFL right now. I don't think uh, there's a way they can not make this pick. I, I I see a world in which a Panay Sewell goes here. I, I really do trying to get it because he's almost a generational type. And I know I've said generational type a lot, but he's almost a generational type <laughs> tackle. And you do need to protect Joe Burrow and you need to do that with this draft. But my thought press, uh, process on this is that you can get, this is a deep draft for offensive tackle. 
and left guard that you're going to have really quality options later on in the draft to address that need. The one thing that you cannot get later in this draft is Jamar Chase. You're not going to get someone with that talent. You're not going to get someone with that NFL ready mentality. So if you can draft Jamar Chase here at five, you're giving Joe Burrow, you know, his favorite weapon from college and automatically probably the best receiving weapon. Ooh, probably in that division, one of the best. And then you can still go later with your second round pick, go and try to find an elite left guard or tackle to protect your Joe Burrow. I I had Chase going for me. I think there's no way that they don't make that pick. It just makes the most sense. You know, I, I get you want to protect your Burrow, but this is too good an opportunity and there's no reason not to reunite the two because of just how good they were in college. There's... Yeah, that kind of chemistry takes a long time to to form and we've seen how devastating it can be you know re tom brady and julian edelman so you have the right one two punch you can win super bowls hands down number six we have the miami dolphins who have as we said moved around a bit who do you have because i, I it's interesting that you said kyle pitts because i had thought that's where i had him going which i also read um that he has the largest wingspan in like the last 20 years of the NFL draft, something ridiculous. He's a freak Um, athlete. He's the best tight end to come out of this draft. He's probably honestly the, the highest rated tight end to ever come out of the draft. Yeah. So, and, and and from the dolphins perspective, they wanted him. And I think that's why they traded back up to six when they moved down to 12. I think they moved back up to six, which this originally was the Eagles pick. Yeah. Because I think they thought that Pitts would still be there at six. But I think Pitts is just too generational of a talent. And there I go again, using that term. But I think he's just too good of an option for the Falcons to pass. So with that said, I think they're going to try to do another little reunion here. And they're going to select Jalen Waddle and reunite him with his uh, quarterback from college. And so Tua will have an elite receiver to throw to. Because if Kyle Pitts is not going to be there, and that would have been a nice you know, you know, Florida florida to florida connection but bringing in uh, jalen waddle i think will be a nice pick for uh for miami and giving to a, an elite option that he's familiar with the detroit lions come in at seventh they obviously made a lot of news and a lot of noise earlier in the offseason with the big matt stafford trade what do you think they do do you think they go out and try and pick a pick a weapon for golf or do you think they try and protect golf what do you think I think they try to protect Goff because as history's shown us, we have enough tape on tape on Jared Goff to know that he does not do well under pressure. <laughs> he needs as much time to throw the ball as humanly possible. So I think what you're going to do is, is as the lions. And I think this is what they will do. I think they're going to draft Panay Sewell. I think he's the yep. top tackle on the board. I think they're going to try to protect, protect Jared Goff and give him as many opportunities to kind of be their franchise quarterback. And to do that, he's going to need time to get accumulated and just time to make throws because, I mean, he's not good under pressure like other guys. So, Panay Sewell, I think they need they need the help and and yeah, and I think Sewell can go straight into the straight into the team and be a be an asset to that line. Of course, we have the Carolina Panthers, number eight, who. Uh, kind of embarrassing me because I made certain predictions about Teddy Bridgewater starting for them. <laughs> and uh, that obviously 
didn't quite pan out. Um, oh, I was right. Perhaps, whatever. Anyway, a 5-11 and season last year. What do you think they do with that 8th overall pick this year? This is an interesting one because within the past, I know you guys are hearing this on Thursday morning, so it might have actually gone through, but there's there's a lot of rumors right now that this is the pick that gets moved. And it sounds like New England's going to gonna trade up to get the It's what everybody pick. thinks. It's what everyone thinks. And so I've just left this blank because I just think it's going to be one of the quarterbacks. So I, I don't know who's going to have this pick if it is going to be New England trading up to eight. I think it's going to be either Trey Lance or it's going to be Justin Fields. So I've, oh, I've left it. I've left it open because I just I don't Justin know where Fields. that. The, that type of that, player but, that's got Bill Belichick written all over him. Yeah, you say that, but also like Trey Lance has all the physical traits that Bill Belichick would love, and he's going to start a year behind Cam Newton, who's the most comparable guy for him to learn off of. That's right? true. I mean, Cam Newton was Trey Lance before Trey Lance, right? <laughs> Very similar body types. I would say Trey Lance has better arm talent because Cam's never had elite arm talent. He's just been elite athletically. But Trey Lance learning a year under Cam Newton would make sense. But yes, I agree that Justin Fields would, would fit just as well. But So I've left this eighth overall pick blank because I don't, I don't really know. If, if the Panthers are staying here, they could go. They could use some help in their secondary, but I just truly feel that this they're going to trade out of this pick, and they're because they have just so many other needs to fill that trading down and getting probably an additional first and maybe even a second out of this trade will help them. So uh, I think it'll be a quarterback at eight, no matter who's picking here, whatever team. I think it's going to be a quarterback at eight. The Denver Broncos are picking at nine, and the last time they picked in a top ten, they picked Bradley Chubb, who has gone on and, and was in the Pro Bowl this season. Do you think they're going to strike gold with another top ten pick? I hope so, and a part of me is kind of upset that they decided to move on Teddy Bridgewater, and, and as much as I do love Teddy Bridgewater, uh, he's he's not a franchise quarterback and that's no disrespect to him. He's, he's a, he's, he's a very solid quarterback and he's going to be in this league for a long time because he's a great professional. But I think at nine, they had, they probably had an opportunity to get one of the guys who's still on the board at this point, because, you know, only one of those guys is going to go at eight. So you're going to have your pick of either Trey Lance or, or Justin Fields, who's probably going to fall to you at this pick. But getting Teddy Bridgewater just complicates that matter. Um, so if, if Trey Lance was available, I would go get him. But I think they're not going to do that. So as I said, my, my, my mock draft is what I think they're going to do, not what they should do. And at this pick, I'm going to have them uh, getting Patrick Sertan out of Alabama because their secondary was kind of terrible last year. And I think you can never have too many corners in this league. So I think they're going to roll with Teddy Bridgewater as being their quarterback, Drew Locke as being their backup, and they're going to go try to get an elite corner and Patrick Sertan to kind of help out their secondary. We've got to the Dallas Cowboys at 10, and Trey Lance is still on the board, I think, which which many people might find interesting or perplexing. I don't know if people would have picked him to fall or you know tumble in many ways as much as possible. Back to Dallas, however, 10th overall, what do you think they do? They've got elite talent all over. Where do you think they use this pick? 
you think they would have to go secondary. Uh, I, they got a quarterback of their future and present and everything. Uh, they have so many offensive weapons that they didn't even need to draft last year's. It was C.D. Lamb in the first round. They didn't even need to draft him. Oh no, was it Jerry Judy? It was one of the two. I, I'm I'm mixing up. I'm mixing up. But they went they went wide receiver last year. They didn't even need to. They're stacked on the. They're stacked options. So I think they're going to go secondary again. I think Patrick Sertan would have been their pick, but since he's off the board, I think they're going to go uh, J.C. Horn uh, and just, again, just try to help their secondary because, as I said, you can never have too many corners, and, you know, Dallas needs needs the secondary help, needs the defensive help. So I think J.C. Horn is going to be the pick because as tantalizing as some of the offensive options are or the quarterbacks, they just don't need that, and they're, and they're set up in a way that they can be very competitive in a terrible division next year. So I think JC Horn would really help them. Well, we've got two, obviously that's normally where people would stop me, but we're going to keep going. We got to 11 and it's the one and only New York giants who, you know, I, who knows what the giants do these days? Like they've got some quality, quality players and they can't seem to figure it out. Do you think that they use this 11th overall pick as a pick to flip and try and, you know, recoup assets down the line? Or do you think they're going to pick someone at 11? I could easily see them flipping, uh, especially if the draft rolls out the way that I've predicted. I could definitely see them flipping with with maybe the Chargers at 13 and doing a little swap there. Um, but I think I'll go with Sean Slater here. Uh, and, and I'll give you a brief explanation why is that Giants fans are, are, will be the first ones to say that they've invested heavily both in picks and free agency into fixing their offensive line. But their offensive line has been terrible for over a decade. And it, to be honest, I still don't think it's fixed. So Rashawn Slater is, is such a naturally gifted guard, whether he'll end up being the protection that you need for Daniel Jones at at the left guard position, I don't know, but he's going to be on that offensive line somehow, some way, because he's just so talented at what he does. So I think Rashawn Slater will be the pick at 11, but I could easily see the Chargers trading up to this pick to get Rashawn Slater to protect Justin Herbert going forward. So I have Rashawn Slater going at 11 because I think getting more protection for Daniel Jones is necessary, and I don't think what they've done and free agency is enough to completely fix that offensive line because Daniel Jones needs protection. He's not talented enough to make something out of nothing like the other guys are. So he I also needs to learn how to run. Well, he's, uh, yeah, he's never going to learn that. So I think he just needs as much time in the pocket as humanly possible that he can hopefully make some solid reads and throw the ball. Our final pick in our hot takes NFL draft pick, number 12, the Philadelphia Eagles. They obviously are no strangers to trades and drama because they traded Carson Wentz to Indy. They appear set to have Jalen Hurts quarterback them next season, and they then traded with Miami and dropped down to 12. What do you think they do with this 12th overall pick? I mean, if this guy's available, I there's no way the Eagles pass on them. And that would be Devonte Smith Heisman winner. I, I just, they're fully committed and look, this is my team. So I, I do follow them a little closer than, than other teams, but we fully committed to Jalen hurts for next season. And whether I like that pick or not, 
it's I love the person. I love Jalen Hurts as a person. So I'm fully committed to letting him, giving him a year to see if he can make a career out of this. So fully committed to that and giving him a Heisman winner and just an elite offensive option like Devontae Smith. I think that's a no brainer because Devontae Smith walks into your team and he's automatically your number one receiver. Uh, because I think they, they, they sort of messed up last season with the Jalen Rager pick. He didn't play overly well. Now, to be fair, you know, he's going to have a second season to kind of make a go of it. And he, if he has Devonte Smith taking a lot of the attention away from the secondary, he might have a better season, but uh, I have Devonte Smith going 12 to the Eagles, because I think that's just, if he's available at that pick, which he might not be, but I think if he's there, the Eagles give Jalen Hurts as many options that he can possibly have to throw to uh, so he can succeed. Well, that brings us to our mock top 12 draft picks out of those 12. Who do you, like, how many do you realistically think that you got right? 10. Wow. Nine, 10. There's just, there's only a few. Yeah, there's only (laughs) four. Uh, No, I think. Definitely got one. I genuinely think there's only a few that are up in the air. I mean, eight, who knows what's going to happen at eight? Who knows what's going to happen at 11? So I think those are the two picks that I'm a little less committed to, but I think everything else makes sense. I mean, I did it, so hopefully it makes sense. But uh, yeah, I think there's only two or three that, you know, it could change depending on, you know, today when we're filming this and and tonight for the draft. So yeah, I think I did pretty well. I'm hoping eight to 10, I got right. Well, um, we are going to move on and we talked about one football. We're going to talk about the other football now because the Champions League is reaching crunch time. And that's because we are just two games away from figuring out who is going to be in the Champions League final. We had Chelsea versus Real Madrid on Tuesday, which finished 1-1. And we had PSG lead against Man City and then capitulate and fall 2-1 two down, two down and have uh, a guy sent off. What? Well, let's first talk the Chelsea game. Obviously, Christian Pulisic scored uh, the opening goal in the 14th minute, and then Benzema came back with a stunner. But I think that the 1-1 scoreline kind of belies how good Chelsea were and how dominant Chelsea were in large parts, especially considering no one actually picked them to be the dominant team when it comes to them versus Madrid. I was pleasantly surprised at how focused and locked in Chelsea were. Uh, From the moment the game started, Chelsea ran and dictated the pace of how that game was being played. Uh, I think their structure led a lot of problems for Real Madrid because they just the middle of the pitch was just like, for them, it had no space. And for Real Madrid, so much of their creativity is, is going to go through Luka Modric and Toni Kroos. And if those guys don't have space and guys to kind of pick out a pass to, they're going to struggle. So time and time again, Chelsea was able to not only capitalize on Real Madrid turnovers, but they were also able to get turnovers higher up the pitch than they usually do. I mean, Real Madrid were barely able to get out of their own 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 side of half before Chelsea would be able to kind of pick it up that being said this game can also 
in my opinion, go down as one of the biggest missed opportunities for Chelsea because they just had be upset. floundered so many top quality chances. And look, you can blame Timo for some of them. I'm not going to well, blame for him one for notable them. one. For one notable one, but Chelsea just kind of they dominated the game, but they didn't dominate the scoreline, and that's. I think Real Madrid can come away from this game and be very happy that they got out of of it with a draw because they were outclassed in every single way and yet it's still tied. So I think that was a missed op- that was much more of a missed opportunity for Chelsea because they dominated in every way but they weren't able to run up the score or even get a second away goal which would have been crucial for them. Yeah, the the second so away it, goal it would, would have been massive for Real Madrid. Yeah. For sure and that is that is just going down on the fact that Timo Werner missed a sitter, and and quite frankly, it deserves. You know, I'm I'm a big fan of Timo Werner, and, and I think that he's been hard done by a lot of the times. But the uh, the the I mean, not, I don't want to say the abuse because it's never right to to hail abuse of the player. But the the I guess. You can't really defend it, is the point. Like, you know, they paid a lot of money for him to score goals and to score big goals. And he's just out of form and it just doesn't work for Chelsea. And that's what makes apparently them trying to sell Tammy Abraham and they reportedly want 56 million for him. That's what makes it so questionable because they have got a striker that is playing that isn't scoring. And I know Werner does a lot for the team, but it's hard to let go of a striker who is scoring or was scoring for someone who isn't scoring. That being said, there was, I mean, there are a number of really interesting storylines coming out of it because Eden Hazard came on against Chelsea and, you know, said after the game that he, you know, it was nice to play against friends. And so that's funny, funny enough, whatever. He was nothing special. And I know he's coming back from a ton of injuries. Do you think, a, he starts the most important game of Real Madrid season next week against Chelsea at Stamford Bridge? Or do you think Zidane holds him back and wants to use him more as a you know power impact sub? I just, I don't see how you start Eden Hazard. He's... Oh, yeah, that's exactly he, he, he why came, you start he him. Came, he came on and he was absolutely invisible. I actually almost forgot he played. So, would you do you really start him over an inform Vinicius Junior? I mean, it, it is it is a shame that fans. I I don't think fans are back in the stadium yet in the UK. That you know, Eden Hazard couldn't have his return to Stamford Bridge be full. That, yeah, that he would have got a hero's welcome. A hero's welcome, exactly. But on his current form, I just think it would be such a risk to start him because maybe you do and maybe you just roll with you know the 130 million you know euros that you spent on him you say you know he's going to create magic out of something but yeah he he was he was truly awful and uh i just yeah i I don't see how there's i don't see how he could start but i could also understand why they start him because he's just he's eden hazard and he's the galactico of that side well, I mean, this is this is the thing, though, is that Vinicius Jr. had a real struggle against Chelsea, of course. But the fact is, is that Eden Hazard can really pull it out of nothing. 
and and that's the type of stardust that he needs a couple minutes even if he's not in form he might be able to figure something the more interesting aspect of it is that marcelo might be unavailable because he was randomly selected to uh, preside over local elections and it's randomly picked and so he might be unavailable because he would have to leave the COVID secure bubble and and thus not be able to participate of course they have been there have been other La Liga players who have had this issue and have been granted exemptions but it just adds another interesting wrinkle to the whole game if Marcelo who struggled admittedly struggled in the game anyway is not able to play either. Yeah, you just know the guy who's sending out those letters was definitely an Atletico Madrid fan. So, oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> but but Marcelo was an, was an interesting player to actually watch during during the first leg because he didn't actually play his position. He was all over the place, and because Real Madrid played with a back three, they slotted Marcelo in as a left wing back. But he was kind of a central midfielder kind of on the left, kind of in the center. He was really important for them. Uh, he didn't actually produce too much, but structurally he was really important for how they kind of ha- had any kind of counterattack to what Chelsea brought. So losing him, I think, would be big, although I do think they should go back to a back four for the second leg, and Furlan Mendy would fit a bit better in that structure. But, yeah, Marcelo it would be interesting to see if he plays. I don't know if he's the make or break for that side, but I would assume he gets, uh, he gets out of that little, you know, whatever, you know, that court duty or, or whatever he has to do, because I mean, it's, it's Madrid, you know, you pay the right person, you know, that, that will go away. Well, uh, Florentino Perez might struggle to find a, a number of, of happy people to pay off at UEFA, especially. Um, we are moving to PSG versus City because that was just Wednesday night and PSG took the lead after dominating the opening minutes and Man City proved just how clinical they are. But they were helped a lot by a couple notable PSG mistakes and then a rash challenge by Idris Danagay who got sent off and will miss the next game. Do you think there's a route back for PSG or do you think City are just marching on and, and we'll be in the final. I, st- I still pick City to win this competition. <gasps> wow. But. Wow. Look, you just can't put past anything Neymar and Mbappe. I mean, <laughs> those two guys themselves can kind of, as, as we said a, a few times, create something out of nothing. And Man City, although they won today, and although they did dictate the way the game kind of flowed, they were beatable. Uh, PSG weren't really able to break them down too much. But I don't think, I think that was much more out of PSG's stars just didn't show up today and less out of Man City just neutralizing them. Like we didn't see the best out of Neymar and Mbappe today. But if, no, but I think that's because of the next city were. That's because oh, City true, shut. Oh, true, that's but, because you know City stifled their midfield and pressed them so quickly up the field that they didn't know what to do, and then Mbappe was isolated and barely touched the ball, and Neymar kind of grew reckless. But all they but all they need is a little more than what they got today. 
in the next sure. leg. And 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 I wouldn't. Are you are you going to say that Man City is going to be as perfect as they were? Absolutely. Defensively, next absolutely. game. Absolutely. They stifled. They kept. But, they kept Haaland quiet for two legs. They can do it to Mbappe. And yeah, but, and the yeah, and Man the City threat doesn't is, really do it on the biggest stage. Sure, but I the mean, threat the, cha- the champions like they've never really done it consistently. And and Mbappe has the ability to. I don't care who's playing on that back line for Man City. Neymar and Mbappe are better than those guys. So I, I, yeah, I, I but just, I'm going to take Mbappe and Neymar over the defensive structure of City for the second game. I still think Man City win it, but I just don't no. think you're going to be able to keep Mbappe and Neymar quiet the next game. Okay, so maybe maybe they score, one of them scores, but they're not going to, you know, City uh, are too smart. You know, they're just, they're all too smart. They know their jobs too well. Gundogan has been, you know, in unbelievable Premier League player of the season type form. Kevin De Bruyne is Kevin De Bruyne and the best passer in the world. Phil Foden is the best young player in the world. I would argue Phil Foden has had a better, more impactful season than Haaland or Mbappe because of what he's done at the crucial moments and continues to play. Uh, you know, you look at you look at against against them today. What did Phil Foden do apart from outplay Mbappe? He he, he did it all. So. City at home in Man City with Pep Guardiola. There's no way Mauricio Pochettino can can rejig a PSG in a way that will change it. Plus, the the last point being is that you know you look at who City have on the bench and who PSG have on the bench. Like if you if you want to bring on Sergio Aguero, there you go. You want to bring on Raheem Sterling, there you go. Fernandinho, like all of these players would be starting if they were playing at PSG they'd probably be starting you think Raheem Sterling would would be starting over Di Maria very possibly probably I would think Fernandinho playing in the middle of the park sure Aguero is the only one who might not be starting and that's only because you have Mbappe and Neymar yeah I think uh, I think either either way I think either of these teams to kind of do a little shout out because I forgot to say in the last segment but I think either of these teams could use an N'Golo Kante because N'Golo Kante just proved again that he is the best defensive midfielder in the world. Yeah, he is, any, he is any team. Every time everyone's like, I think he's over it. He's he, Then he puts just a masterful, masterful performance against a massive side like a Man City, or in this case, he did against Real Madrid. So He was, yeah, but I he think, was I think unbelievable. One thing against... that can't be under, understated is that PSG have lost their N'Golo Kante, and, and Idris Gueye is not going to be able to play in the second in the second uh, leg. That poor I mean, man's in Kevin, Kevin, poor man's, but he's still a very he's still one of the upper tier defensive midfielders in the world. Man, like Kevin De Bruyne and Phil Foden must just be like licking their lips because this is they're going to have so much room now to kind of pick apart that PSG defense. And that PSG defense isn't all that great because, I mean, Prison Kempembe I don't think looked very good today, but that's neither here nor there. So yeah, I think we can both agree that Man City are probably the favorite to go through. I still can see PSG pulling a little something out of their hat to make it a bit nervous for City. But uh, yeah, I think we can both agree that City's going to go through. Well, it could set up a, an all-English final again, which, of course, Chelsea don't have fond memories of. 
I will say this, and it's not just because I'm a Chelsea fan, is that, you know, Tuchel has found a way to beat Man City and, he, and he's he's done it. And if he could find a way past Madrid, it's that same kind of underdog status, the same way Chelsea won in, in 2012. So it's all possible. It's all exciting. And with that, we, of course, reach the best part of every Halftime Brewskies podcast, which is the beer. And I nailed it the last week with the sound. So obviously I have to hold it next to the microphone because... Wow. That's just heaven. It's heaven in a it's heaven in a sound clip. Mmm. Delicious. That of course brings us to our favorite segment, which is none other than Daddy, just by the building. Which is of course our weekly segment of quick fire questions. And it only gets better and better with time, James. You'll get used to it. You'll love it. We've got a couple questions. And we have to, actually, they're mostly NHL themed. Although, oh, I just just came up with another one. George Springer is making his debut for the Blue Jays tonight. Will he start in scintillating form and go off or will he he be slow to start? He's starting at DH tonight. I think he's going to be a little slow to come off. How long do you think until, you know, how many, what are we talking about? We're talking like May, end of May, he's in elite his back to elite form and and is leading off the lineup uh yeah you could probably look mid may maybe he's got to get a few weeks and he's got to get you know probably more than 50 60 at bats to kind of really kind of get the timing of timing of the heading down and you just you don't know with with muscle injuries because you know center field is is one of the hardest positions to to defend uh a lot of running in, in that position so Muscle injuries are always, you know, who knows, but yeah, I, th- I think you could probably use a month to kind of get back up and running because he's got to, he's got to be a really important player for this, for the, for the Blue Jays, if they want to do anything this season. So yeah, I would say, you know, three weeks, kind of a month. There has been a lot of talk coming out of the States about a certain defenseman called Adam Fox, who is making a late charge in the Norris. Victor Hedman has pretty much been kind of like the standalone standout guy all year do you think adam fox is in contention do you think he should win do you think he should even be in the conversation i mean he's probably in contention based on how many people talk about him now uh and look this is nothing to take away from adam fox because i think he's you know an uber talented defenseman I don't think he's a Vesna winner yet. Or sorry, uh, I don't think he's a Norris winner yet. Uh, I think it would be just... impressive if he was a Vesna winner. That's for sure. That would be impressive. Yeah, but I think Norris is, is too soon because he's such a specialized defenseman and, and he's so offensively gifted. And yeah, he doesn't make a lot of mistakes defensively. But when you go up against a guy like, obviously the favorite every year is, is Victor Hedman. It seems Victor Hedman runs the game. And I just don't think Adam Fox is at that ability to kind of run the game and to translate that into, to, into team success. Cause I think the Rangers have been less than inspiring this season. So yeah, I, I, I don't get it personally, uh, but it's kind of all that's been online through, uh, through other podcasts and other kind of us channels within the past kind of week or two that Adam Fox should be getting a little more love, but I think that's kind of ironic because they're the only ones he's the only defenseman getting any love right now. So I don't, I don't know how you give him more love. So I think he's a good defenseman. I think uh, the Norris would be a, a bit too soon and definitely, definitely too soon for the Vesna. 
Sticking with hockey, we've got the Stanley Cup dark horse favorites because we've obviously picked that the Avs, Tampa, and the Leafs are three favorites. We also kind of had the Bruins kind of sort of high up there, but just basing off of people who are in first right now, the Capitals, the Golden Knights, and the Canes, who is your favorite dark horse pick for the Stanley Cup? Because I have an obvious pick since I picked them to win. Yeah, I don't know if they're a dark horse for you because you've been preaching them all year. Uh, for me, it would, it would dark horse would be Carolina because no one picked Absolutely. it. Absolutely, yeah. But I think if Vegas can get by Colorado, which is what they're going to have to do to come out of that division, I mean, there's no stopping them if they can get by Colorado because that was obviously Colorado was my Stanley Cup pick. So uh, I don't know if I don't know if the Knights are a dark horse. I think they're just a good team that is always in, in the contention for for the Stanley Cup. So I'll say dark horses being Carolina because they're consistently a good team but never get any love in the Stanley Cup contender category. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. But I think a lot of it's just going to come down to how their goaltending uh, can kind of show up in the playoffs because we all know that they have the talent up front and we all know that that defense is probably probably one of the best defensive cores in the world. But it's it's how is Peter Morazic going to play in the playoffs or Alex Nedeljkovic, one of the two is going to play. So how's their goaltending going to how, how's their goaltending going to fare against tougher competition? But so yeah, I'll say I'll say Carolina is probably my favorite dark horse because they're out of those options, they're really the only dark horse. Next question, last hockey themed before we have one more is Gerard Gallant and Roberto Luongo a good coach GM combo for Team Canada? Yeah, it I, seems I, like it's I really, the easiest job, don't you think? Like it seems like it's just the easy one of the easiest jobs in hockey, but actually it's much more difficult than it would be. The GM or the coach? I think the coach well, the coach you couldn't both. have found a better coach available. George yeah. Gallant is, is still one of the best coaches in the NHL and he, he he doesn't even have a team that he's affiliated with right now. But yeah, George Gallant, great coach. Have no problems with that. Roberto Luongo, this is his first significant role in any kind of management situation. So uh why not give him, you know, the world championship? Because at the end of the day, no, we don't really Canadians. We don't really care if we win that. Uh, we're we're much more focused on on the big on the big tournaments like uh, the Olympics, and, and and of course the Olympics, which is which is going to come up. But I think this is a good opportunity for him to kind of wet his beak a bit in in kind of the picking of the team. And I think he's going to have a tough situation this year, convincing players to go overseas and away from their family, especially with the whole COVID situation. And we don't really know how the world and travel is going to be. So I think he's, he's got his work cut out for him, but out of anybody that they could have picked, uh, picking Roberto Luongo and especially their assistant GM, picking Shane Doan, picking two X players that are well loved within the NHL. I think those guys are going to have a, a better opportunity to, to convince guys to go than just management guys that they could have picked. Because I think players are going to be able to relate to Roberto Luongo and Shane Doan a lot more. And there's going to be a lot more mutual respect than if they had just picked a run of the mill GM in the NHL. Once we get closer to when they announce who's going to be on the team, we will of course talk about that. Our final question here is sticking with the theme of the fact that Ontario is the only province territory and state to have cancelled golf right now the only one 
the PGA revealed a new cash prize, basically, of about 40 million US dollars, which goes towards, it's, it's a set of nine or so metrics, which basically accounts for which players drive the most interest, which players have the most social media following or, you know, generate the most searches on YouTube, things like that, Google, whatever it is. Do you think this is a good idea as a way to incentivize players? And do you think this is kind of like the first, you know, league organization that will do it and others will follow with this kind of cash incentive for their most popular players? I think it's an interesting approach for golf to take because golf is so classical in the way they carry themselves and they're very set in their ways. And I don't mean that in a bad thing. I just truly mean that they have traditions that they love and that they, and that they really value. And so big personalities in golf often stand out because they're so hard to come by, I guess. So with that being said, I think having a little cash prize for guys who have big personalities and are able to drive interest and drive revenue for the PGA, I don't think it's a bad thing. I really don't see a downside to this uh, because as you know, the generations kind of get older, I think PGA is looking towards how do they capture more attention within kind of the younger audience. And the younger audiences, you get there through social media and you get there through social interaction uh, on kind of those kind of platforms. I so mean, the inspiring argument... stars to kind of be a little more uh, bigger than themselves is, isn't a bad thing. And I think finally Ricky Fowler will start to get paid for all those <laughs> outfits that he does. My boy, Ricky yeah, Fowler. That, that's true. You know, that I think the, the argument that some would have against it is like you take Matsuyama, who won the Masters. He's not going to generate, like he's not going to be in the top 10 golfers that are searched over the course of the year, right? You know, you're pretty much just making the rich richer because you know that when it comes to golf, you've got Dustin Johnson, Rory McIlroy, you know, Bryson DeChambeau, these guys, Tiger Woods still, even though he's not playing, these guys will Brooks, yeah. do it. And like the, the, the part of this is, is that Tiger Woods, even though he's not playing, will still get part of this because he's still a pro golfer and his metrics are, will will mean that he features in that top 10 without a doubt. He just will because it's Tiger. How is, you know, is that a, is that a fair thing? Cause you're thinking, but, you know, Corey Connors isn't going to get any of this. Matsuyama, these guys. But here's the thing. They weren't getting anything beforehand. So, I mean, all it is is an opportunity that if they want to grow their brand, they can, and they will get awarded for doing so. They're not losing any money out of this. All it's doing is is rewarding the guys who, yes, are big, are kind of growing the brand, are growing golfing as an idea, right? So, yes, the lower, lesser guys aren't going to get any of this money. But to be fair, one, it gives them an incentive to create a bigger brand for themselves, which can kind of you know, lead to other things, right? They're not losing any money. So I have a, I have a tough time being like, is this fair that, you know, Roy McIlroy gets an additional few million? Well, I mean, if you want to look at it, honestly, Roy McIlroy drives a lot of the media and attention that the PGA gets. So are we really going to say you don't deserve this? Well, I I bet you, you could do some calculations and be like, he probably does deserve that money. So I all, I actually just see it as a bigger opportunity for, young up and coming golfers to actually get their name out there and actually to get rewarded if they're big social media stars outside of the whole PGA, because as we all know, it is so tough to win a major. Mm -hmm. So few guys do it. 
So this is just another opportunity for guys who maybe don't have the skill set to win a major, but are always kind of, you know, within kind of the top 50. It's just another way for them to potentially earn some income, right? And like this, yes, we all say that, you know, Roy McIlroy or Tiger Woods, they're, they're only going to be the ones who get all the money. Well, you know, five years from now, it, it, it might not be the same, right? There might be a new guy who comes in on, <laughs> I, I hate to say it, but, you know, an Instagram or a TikTok who is able to reach a younger audience who's a professional golfer who then grows his brand through this and is awarded by this new purse that's been created. So yeah, and, I'm and all for it. To be, to be fair about it, you know, you think about, you know, how much money was in golf before Tiger Woods? Very little. I mean, I can't, I can't think of the guy who won the RBC Heritage Classic, but when Tiger Woods started playing professionally, the prize money for the Tiger, uh, for the Heritage Classic was $200,000. The guy who won it, what, two weeks ago now, pocketed $1.3 million. So that just shows, you know, how much these guys can have an effect on golf. So I think, you know, by and large, fair enough. They drive the sponsorship. They drive the money. They, they you know, it's get a piece of the pie kind of thing. I will now. We are moving on to our fourth section. And so obviously I'm going to hand it over to you because I know you're eagerly anticipating this section. This has been one that you have been hyped about for at least... 12 i was gonna say 20 hours 24 hours uh when you're a fan of the khl it's it's a full year it's a lifelong affliction yeah it's a full year commitment i mean but yes i guess for our fourth section uh always kind of handing me the reins to kind of you know run my own section but i i decided to kind of catch everyone up because i don't think the khl gets enough love or enough attention definitely in North America for how I think it gets almost no attention I think it gets no attention but I mean the KHL finals were this year the Gargan Cup and it was CSK in Moscow versus Avant-Garde and trust me those are two of the easier names to pronounce out of all the teams available here's the first question is how many goals did Vladimir Putin score in the finals because Uh, I think he scored 11 in that one game he played like unbelievable you know he and I think he came in riding a, a horse bare-chested or was it a bear it was probably both uh but no it's look yes you, you have russia and you got the stereotypes about you know putin and, and the khl but i mean if you're watching the like i watch the games but you can even watching the highlights they love their hockey over there just as much as we do right and and yep. this is it was a big deal and for nhl fans you can look at these two teams and, and definitely start to recognize some of the names are, that are on there because they're either guys who flamed out of the NHL or were just so Russian that they had to go back. <laughs> yes. Uh, but I think, it was, I, I, I think it was a great series. So to catch you guys up, Avant-Garde won their first ever Gargan Cup, uh, first time in their history, and they actually won it on home ice, and they won the series 4-2. So it didn't go, it didn't go the full seven, but I mean – you look at that. You look at the lineup that they were able to put together, and you're and you're definitely seeing some NHL regulars. I mean, they had two captains. Uh, I know I didn't even know that was possible, but they had two captains, uh, yeah, Alexei Emelin and Ilya Kovalchuk, both phenomenal. I mean, Alexei Emelin, when I had him on my beer GM on NHL 15, he would crush people left, right, and center. What was his hit tool like? Ninety nine. Yeah, he was. He was a 
beast. I mean, like mobile less so, but he crushed people in the middle of the ice. Open ice hits were his thing. Yeah, but I mean, even like Sergei Tolchinsky, for all like I know you won't know who that is, but I mean, that was definitely a guy that the Carolina fans can get behind. He played, I think, maybe four or five games for the Carolina Hurricanes. I mean, Sergei Tolchinsky was like third leading scorer in the KHL this year. So, well, see there. If you any go. fans are, yeah, if any fans are looking to get into something, I think the KHL needs to get a little more love because those fans were going wild. And of course, COVID's not a thing over there. <laughs> they don't care. That's, those stadiums, it's the Florida were of the world, packed, <laughs> absolutely packed. Reed Boucher was playing. I know former Sarnia Sting, absolute scoring champion, definitely. Uh, drive some uh <laughs> some interest but i mean brendan leipzig was playing for csk moscow so i, was I always liked him against i was actively yeah. cheering against csk moscow because brendan leipzig was playing for that team oh yeah poor guy poor ooh, poor guy until you realize why he was kicked out of the nhl and then you're like yeah yes, that, that makes is, sense yeah fair enough let's yeah but nikita soshnikov for all the toronto maple leafs fans was playing for csk one in of, moscow one of the purest shots we've seen in the nhl until a certain austin matthews came in that guy he i mean all jokes aside he did have a phenomenal shot phenomenal shot yeah anton slapashev edmonton fans that's going to be a little you know nugget for them but little ding ding andre loktyanov any 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 og la kings fans out there that's that's a prime you know oh gosh andre loktyanov that probably would have been the what 2008 2009 probably for them so peak i mean peak early la years peak early la years but all this all this being said i think this was a little wrap up just for for you guys to understand that you know there is hockey outside the nhl and and the KHL and it's pretty good hockey too fair enough KHL like, is definitely probably one of the higher level hockey outside the nhl and and their finals were absolutely fire this season and bob hartley loved the guy got his uh got his khl ring this year i don't know actually if they do rings in the khl i should probably look into that maybe you get like i I don't know an engraved bottle of vodka i don't know something like that but uh we'll definitely we'll definitely look into that and fill you guys in but that was my kind of little uh little research project that i was able to kind of bring to you guys because the khl finals were a good time to watch and definitely something that when they are on this time next year that you guys should keep an eye on so yeah i mean you never think of the khl we'll give you that no one ever thinks of the khl but there are a number of things i guess the big question is how many times are we going to see Ilya kovalchuk come back from the khl and try and get back into the nhl that's the real question and, and and the real question was, how is Neil Yakupov still not healthy? Because he plays for avant-garde, and he was on the ice celebrating with his teammates, but he was hurt. But that dude was jumping around and celebrating like nothing was wrong. So I think he was a healthy scratch, which is nothing new to him. But okay, so that his boy question, Neil Yakupov, his minus Neil Yakupov, do you think that Ovechkin will? play in the khl before he retires yeah but he's, he's already come out and said that that he'll return to i can't remember i think it was moscow csk i think it was actually csk moscow that he that he broke into or one of one of the uh one of the moscow teams there's like dynamo i think it might have been dynamo moscow 
yeah there's there's like six teams based out of the, the greater yeah. moscow area but uh, uh yeah I, I think he's already committed that he was going to go back and play there one time so and, I and he'll go back and, and absolutely dominate because i mean pavel datsuk still plays everybody just for just food for thought pavel datsuk just... is still in the khl yeah, and I can't find out if they do have rings or if they get sell. You know, if they if that's what they get, um, I'm scared to Google more because I don't want the FSB coming after my phone for googling too much. Um, but thanks for keeping us updated on the KHL. It's the content we didn't know we needed that we got. You're welcome. Love to do uh, it. Yeah. <laughs> Next week it'll be a sport that no one's heard of that you will be filling us in on. Don't worry. Once it, once we get into June, I'm talking all about the British and Irish Lions tour of South Africa. So that'll be... Is that rugby? It is rugby. Yeah, see? There You'll you have to fill us in on cricket one time as well. Thank you. Oh my God. There's a whole host of cricket happening right now, but we'll save that for another one because I know that is eagerly anticipated. Cricket will come. Don't worry. It's the biggest sport in the world. Just saying. That's debatable, but still. Yeah, that's that's all I got for this week, James. What have you got? Because always it's you on the last note, <laughs> me on the last note, and you know me speaking for seventy five percent of it. Uh, no, uh, I, my KHL was kind of my uh, was kind of my last thing. So uh, I'm looking forward to the draft tonight. If you guys are listening to that, I'm hoping to does as we said go probably eight for ten. But as uh, as my luck is going, I'm looking at maybe five, maybe six, correct uh, picks, but looking forward to it so well there you go we'll stay tuned we'll figure out if we have eight for ten because we are good at projections and predictions we figure this out we might might lie knowing you you'll live tweet out james is oh for one james is oh for two (laughs) i think you at least nailed the first overall pick so there's at least one one i think i definitely got the first two yeah yeah so there you go that's that's at least the same grade that anyone could ask for is 20 percent what else that hit that that hit home (laughs) on that note thanks for listening i'm ollie that's james we'll catch you next week bye for now